From WJFF Radio Catskill, this is Close to Home, the podcast that explores the people, issues, and institutions in the Catskill Mountains, the heart of small-town America. I'm your host, Leif Johansson. Thanks for tuning in. I spent much of my youth growing up in Livingston Manor. It wasn't a glamorous hamlet, but it was a supportive, friendly community, and I loved it there. After I went off to college, I would come back to be with family a few times each year, and every time I would return, things would look just a little bit different. Not bad different, just different. New faces, new businesses, renovated buildings, different types of shops up and down Main Street. When I moved back into town during COVID, I felt like I was watching that progression speed up exponentially, and it suddenly seemed like I was witnessing the long-term evolution of a community happen in real time. As you probably know, so many of these changes have taken place because of an influx of people moving up from the New York metropolitan area, some as second homeowners, and some as full-time members of the community. And while it has been fascinating to live through these changes, I can't help but wonder about what all of this means for the local real estate market. For buyers, renters, the sprawling local Airbnb scene, and how all of this impacts the living situation for the folks who already live and work here in the Catskills. To help me parse through all of these changes, I recently sat down with four of our local real estate experts for a close-to-home real estate roundtable roundup. I'm Heather Quaintance, and I'm at Country House Realty as a real estate salesperson. I've been doing this since 2019, so just four years. I'm Joe Frieda with Frieda Real Estate. Been licensed for, well, be 20 years this spring. I am Lynn Frieda, Matthew J. Frieda Real Estate in Calicoon, and I am Joe's sister. I've been doing it for 18 years. I'm uh, Travis O'Dell. I'm a licensed broker with Land and Water Realty in Roscoe. I think this is my 10th year in the business. I think that our, our local real estate really made a lot of headlines in the last few years. I was just looking at some uh, figures before we hopped on the call here and, and was looking at some different counties in our area. I saw that that uh, in August 2019, uh, the median home price in Greene County was, I think, $185,000. By August 2022, the median home price there was $330,000. Uh, in April 2023 in Sullivan County, I think it was at about $260,000, obviously way up from pre-COVID. What happened in these last few years? What has that been like as folks in the real estate industry? It was obviously the pandemic that really, and, and New York City and surrounding area coming up and trying to find locations to be outside of the city. So that definitely added to the, there was an already an interest in the area prior to the pandemic for second homes, um, vacation properties. Um, but 
now, yes, the prices have risen. And I think that they're really kind of staying here, maybe leveling out a little bit, but I don't see them dropping anywhere significantly. I mean, we're in a new world. I agree with Heather. I just saw a report from National Association of Realtors, and they said that that uh, in the, the statistics that they released for April said that 84% of buyers nationwide were seeking uh, housing outside of major metro areas. And, and they also uh, uh, predicted a continued um, uh, low inventory, high demand, uh, therefore pricing being similar as to what we have uh, for the coming year. Yep. And the latest statistics from our one key MLS, which is what Sullivan County is in, our Sullivan County Board of Realtors is in the one key MLS. The latest um, information that went for our median price, um, our median price right now for Sullivan County, the list price is 359000 You compare that to pre-pandemic levels where we were about, about 220000 was our median list price. Is, is there anything you want to add to that, Travis? No, I think uh, I agree with everybody. The I I don't go crazy over statistics. The only thing I learned from my college statistics class is that they can be skewed to represent anything you you want. Um, and any there, we had some big outliers. You know, three million dollar listing totally throws those off. But um, I would say in general. From doing this almost 10 years, I think we've bumped bottom for so long after the Great Recession. People were scared to really get back into real estate. And COVID just exponentially raised us to where I think we should be. I think we're trading right about now. I'd say average probably 40%. I don't know if everybody would agree with that above uh, pre-COVID. I think that's really where we should be. It's a healthy market, in my opinion. I think that we are artificially inflated and I think it's difficult for um, anybody in the first time home buyer bracket to get into this market. Prices have run up and it's what the market will bear. That's for sure. So we've, we've got to live with that, but I find it, you know, when, when we know what it used to be and what it is now, I find it very difficult to explain that to first time buyers. It's, it's tough. I agree with Travis on the, uh, I think we, we, we topped out at about 40% higher than we were pre-pandemic. And then we, I think we just saw a little adjustment though, uh, over, over the winter, um, or in the, in the last, maybe in the last six months of the last year, because we're not pulling those kind of prices exactly anymore. The, so I think maybe we're more adjusted maybe to 35% over pre-pandemic. You know, we, we've had such a shortage of listings that when, new listings come on that are priced correctly, then there's demand for them. And they just, they don't stay on the market very long. As a matter of fact, those, that same NAR study that I just quoted um, said the uh, days on market now have dropped from 29 to 23. Again, that's nationwide, so we don't always follow those trends, but, but it's an indication of where the market overall is. I, I want... I want to reiterate what you just said that I think it it really for sellers it really depends on the pricing and like yeah. pricing homes right you will still see 
bidding wars at this stage. If yeah. they're not priced, you know, I, I think a lot of sellers are getting to this place where, oh my God, we can list really high. And if you list too high, you're not you're not going to get the attention on the house like like you might have during the pandemic, regardless. You're right. I saw very much in line with what you guys are saying. I, I saw a headline in, in Business Insider the other day. It said, uh, housing market, ice age, fewer sales, higher home prices, less inventory. What does that mean for the middle income or lower income prospective homeowner? Well, we've had a couple of people decide that they wanted to list their houses and then they listed for a good price and then had to withdraw because they could not find anything to buy because now they can sell high, but they're going to have to buy high. So to get somewhere else where they want to go, whether it's going to be south or another location, they just can't find it because they're only going to get a certain amount for their house. And the new house that they're looking at is is higher than what they can pay. And compounding that is interest rate increase. So anybody who has a, ha- a mortgage that they got during uh, the lower rates, so they're holding a mortgage at two and a half percent or three percent, they go out now and six and a half or seven percent, uh, they're going to pay- be paying a lot more per month than they currently are. So that, uh, that keeps um, uh, ha- uh, houses off the market too. I want to also ask about the different communities in our region. I'm going to say the Sullivan County plus region, <laughs> maybe going into Delaware, going across the border into Pennsylvania. What are the particular neighborhoods, particular villages, towns that have seen the highest demand recently? Why do you think that is? Any predictions, thoughts about where that might be heading in the future? Any any spots that you see as kind of maybe up and coming? I want to say that absolutely Livingston Manor is probably the hottest town in the region, 100%. Yet I think our anchor towns of Calicoon and Narrowsburg are big too. And then there's all the places in between. And so what I think, I honestly think Jefferson, Youngsville, um, North Branch, those areas are kind of in the middle of everything. And you can, you know, you have a nice distance to all these you know, basically the downtown anchors are the spots that I think are worth looking at. I would also add that anything along the river is a premium just because they're very rare when they come on the market and, you know, you're not making any more river property. It's there. So whatever's there is going to change hands and and that's a premium. Also in the Pike Wayne Association, um, anything on Lake Wallenpawpack or near Lake Wallenpawpack or near Lake Ariel is very much in demand. Livingston Manor has been the hottest spot in the last few years. And But one thing that I've always pitched is that, and I, it's true, we're really, a, we're really a, a, a broader community than any single town. And I mean, you know, we got people from Narrowsburg, they want to go up to Upward Brewery, drive up. People from Roscoe want to come down to Narrowsburg for an art opening. They drive down, and uh, it's and we're all intertwined. And so many times I find that yeah, people will call me about Livingston Manor or Calicoon, but when they see the house that they want and it's in North Branch or Youngsville or something, it, 
those places are all close enough to the hot spots that they go for it. I agree with all of that. I don't think any one town here is big enough to be a silo. So I think you have to be, you go to a restaurant, you know, in Livingston Manor and maybe pharmacy in Calhoun, right? There's, um, it's all a greater community, I think. So, so Calhoun, Livingston Manor, uh, I'll throw Narrowsburg in there as well, are, are, I'm, I'm using air quotes now, uh, hot spots in the county. What about the areas that are, are not such hot spots in the county? Um, places with maybe higher populations that don't have the same level of natural scenery that a lot of people are interested in that have higher rates of poverty, right? And, and when people move up from the city, they don't want to live around that. And, and there, there's a level of prejudice there, of course. What's happening in Monticello, Liberty, Fallsburg areas with those higher populations, real estate-wise? What have those markets been looking like during and now in the post-COVID era? There's still high demand. Uh, they're different. It's different than Western Sullivan County, of course. Um, more populated, like you said, there's more poverty. Um, so not necessarily as much of a second home market, although there are pockets, right? Of course. But the biggest, the, the biggest detriment to that area of Sullivan County and Sullivan County in general, in my opinion, in real estate is the taxes. It, you can't. It, it hurts values because it factors into what people can um, pay monthly. It uh, affects whether they're willing to buy a second home there because sometimes the taxes are just not justifiable. Even if they can't afford it, they don't want to pay $20,000 in, in taxes when their kids don't even go to school or um, they're not using the resources. So I think that's one of the biggest detriments to that area, particular pockets of the county that you're talking about, the high tax rates. There are taxes in Liberty and Monticello that, that most of the other areas don't have a village tax. That's that's one of the things that Travis is referring to. But also, when someone comes up from New York City or the metro area, they're not looking to get into another city. They're looking to get into the country. So that's why I think the western area and the northern area of Southern County, northeastern especially, is much more rural. And that's what they're looking for, a getaway from, from where they live currently. What are some uh, projects, some developments, some programs that you all are keeping an eye on in our region that are maybe under development now or have been have been discussed in our region um, that might have some impact on the real estate market in, in the coming years? What are you guys looking at? In Calicoon, the railroad station is being converted into the visitor center for Sullivan County. So we keep a close eye on that. And that, I think, will be quite a draw. You'll get people in that want to know what's going on. And that's um, it's a historic railroad station from the 1800s. And it's pretty much the way it looked back then. There's also in Calicoon, I, I agree with Lynn. Um, I worked in that railroad station back in the 70s and uh, <laughs> on the tracks. And uh, it still looks the same. Um, uh, but also... Uh, the former Upper Delaware Campgrounds in Calicoon, which was, was our old family farm, um, is uh, uh, there's a move movement afoot. I'm not sure how much it's progressed now, but to turn that into a Riverside Park, 
the, the uh, was um, initiated by the Trust for Public Land, and um, then supposedly the county was buying it. I don't know if they've closed on it. I'm not sure about that. But um, there, were, there were many planning sessions, and it's got a lot of amenities to take advantage of the riverfront. We just don't have good public access to really so much of the amenities and the, the, the nature that we have in front of us. You walk down through the campgrounds right now, the knotweed's so high you can't, so high you can't even see the river. And uh, so there's, there's, there's plans to trim all that up, put walking trails in, put a kayak launch, a dog park for people to come, public restrooms, things like that. That would be a, a tremendous draw for the western side of the county because we don't really have anything that extensive right now up and down the river corridor. Um, so I'm hoping that I'm, I, I've been on the steering committee, but I haven't heard anything from anybody in, geez, I mean, it must be, well, over a year anyway. Uh, so I don't know where we're at with that one. I'm also thinking of, it, it's the O&W, the rail trail system. Yes. The rail trail system. I know that there's continued talk about that and I like connecting those rail trails throughout the county yeah. would be amazing for yeah. for yeah. visitors and, and um, locals. I'm waiting to hear about the other $10 generals coming. <laughs> <laughs> On the topic of those dollar generals, this has been really interesting to me to watch things like Dollar General or, or some other cheaper stores that cater to folks who probably aren't in part of that New York City crowd that are coming up that are potentially useful resources to areas that you know, you're know you 20 minutes away from the closest grocery store sometimes. What are your guys' uh, thoughts and opinions on those those types of resources like Dollar General? And I ask because my family initially was quite against them. And now every time I, I visit my dad's house, half of his fridge is stuff from the local Dollar General. Um, and I haven't heard him complain so much about it recently. Well, it serves a purpose for people who can't get into a, a location. And yet I noticed them like in Jeffersonville, for example, Texas right down the road from there. So, you know, that's a, it's a little competitor, but when you go to white sulfur Springs, for example, there is no other market unless you went to Liberty or you went back to Jeffersonville. So I would think that would help folks there because they don't have to have such a drive and in white sulfur, you could walk there. The dollar generals are just a part of rural life. I think. Yeah, I would, Buying, if I said I, I never went there, they're not convenient, right? They're, they're, it's nice to get uh, bulk paper towels relatively cheap nearby. But the uh, I would say the quality of food and, and there, a lot of the, the stuff they carry is just not necessarily what I want to eat or what a lot of other people want to eat. But they're convenient, and it takes all kinds for a, a community to succeed. So, you know, we're not like... Uh, a straight across the board, upper echelon, high snobbery. We don't shop at Dollar Generals, but you know, again, it takes you need a diverse community to have an actual community. Otherwise, it's just a club. What are all of your concerns about about the housing market, about real estate in our region? I have heard the term "housing bubble" thrown around. Are you losing sleep over that at night? What other things are are you keeping an eye on that that might cause issues for for us or for housing prices in this area in the future? Yeah, when you hear bubble, you think it's going to burst, and we've heard right. that you know, that in um, after our we had the a big boom, 
after 9-11. And then when we had the recession, that was not just a, a burst, a bubble burst. That was, you know, a real, a real downer. We lost 40% of the market there. But um, I think, you know, I hear that a lot too, that it's the housing bubble that it has bubbled up and it, you know, that we're on the, the top of it. And when it bursts, we all go down. But um, it seems like these prices are, are here to stay. I think Travis was referring to that earlier. And um, if we all had a crystal ball, we'd be millionaires, right? I see and I hear um, Airbnbs, VRBOs, people who bought strictly to rent out um, and to flip that the market is oversaturated. I have two friends who bought and they like to come up and visit, but really their income comes from their Airbnb. And they only have so far this year, two bookings. Last year, they had something like 30 bookings and they're a little worried. And I think the saturation of Airbnbs in this area is going to be, if we're going to talk about a bubble bursting, that would be the bubble that would burst right there. And I would add on to that for advising buyer clients today. I And honestly, in the past, make sure that you can cover your costs when you buy something and don't don't be dependent on on that. You're going to get that that income from the clients that you get in the renters that you have renting short term. Um, one one concern that I think has been big in the county and still is today, and you kind of touched on it earlier, Leif, is the workforce housing. Workforce housing, so basically the locals and, and getting homes for these people. And I think that investors to the area, I think better, rather than looking at buying a short-term rental property, vacation home, I think it's a smarter investment to buy properties that you can rent out as long-term rentals. We need more of that for people who are part of the workforce in the area. Very good point. I agree with all of that. Um, the Airbnb, if there's any market that there's a bubble, it's the short-term rental market. And the workforce housing is a major issue. You, there's help wanted signs all across the county. Um, in terms of housing, though, it's impossible with the rate increases and the taxes. It, you can't charge enough monthly for work to have an affordable workforce housing. Um, I think that's why Airbnb was so popular because you could cover your costs with a profit to strictly rent workforce workforce housing, $1,500, $2,000 a month even. It's hard to find a property that is a solid investment when you factor in mortgage and taxes insurance to actually see a profit from any of that. That's a difficult market right there. If you could each uh, be housing policy, real estate policy czar for a day, and you could enact, you know, wave your hand, enact any policy related to all of this that you'd like, what's on your agenda in your 24 hours as uh, emperor <laughs> of housing? No more interest rate hikes. It scares people. I'd lower interest rates and lower taxes. I'm uh, like a broken record on that one. Definitely lower the taxes in Monticello and Liberty. Broadband for everybody. Oh, yes. Is a lack of broadband a, a big conversation still? Is, is lack of cell service a big conversation? First thing people do when they get to a property, they pull out their phone, they see how many bars they have, and they ask right away, what's the you know Wi-Fi situation? What's the internet situation? 
And if you don't have it, I can tell you it'd be the most beautiful house. It is not going to sell. Especially since the pandemic, people came out here so they could be out in the, in the, in the country and they want to work from home. And that's happened in places where they, they can work from home, where they do have high speed. Um, many of the people that would be formerly second homeowners have become primary homeowners. And that helps, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats and that helps. Um, but it's essential for, for that to happen. Anything else that anyone wants to add? I'd like to see towns take a look at their master plans and their zoning and make sure that they're in sync with the the new population trends that we have that we're seeing uh, so that population density is in sync, that the traffic on our little bitty roads doesn't become dangerous. You know, that sort of thing. it takes a long time to, to redo those things. I think it's important for all of our towns to keep up with that. I am so glad to have been joined by this group of local experts. But it feels like so many of the conversations we have as a community about the regional housing market seem to have one particular word hanging in the air. And that word, of course, is gentrification. The idea that a particular community comes into high demand, prices go up to meet that demand, and in a remarkably short period of time, we've priced out the folks who are from that community. And now the main group who can afford to live there are those from elsewhere with the resources to afford those higher prices. Now, as one of the closest scenic rural areas to New York City, the Catskills have dealt with various forms of gentrification for hundreds of years. And of course, it's a nuanced issue. The injection of money into the community isn't all bad, and if we're looking at it from an economics perspective, we'd probably agree that there are some positive externalities that locals enjoy from the increased demand for places like Livingston Manor or Calicoon. Good food, better public services from the wider tax base, and maybe more support for our local organizations. But at the same time, we cannot become complacent when it comes to keeping our communities accessible for the folks who are living in the Catskills on Catskills incomes. How do we do that? Well, perhaps that's a topic for a conversation with an expert in a future episode, But from my very non-expert perspective, it seems like we need to be mindful of a few things right off the bat. First, we need to keep people living in our housing stock as much as possible. If a big slice of local homes end up as part-time vacation rentals that only have guests in them for a small chunk of each year, not even the additional tax dollars from that offset the fact that that is squeezing the local housing market by taking lots of properties off the table for folks who straight up need a place to live. And we can enact policies on the local level to impact this, like taxing vacant properties. Second, we need to seriously consider the development of more affordable housing units in our region. And I know that the discussions of developing things like apartment buildings in our rural setting tends to ruffle feathers, 
But I could not agree more with Travis's point that a community that only features a wealthy socioeconomic class of people isn't really a community at all. It's a club. So we should be having substantive arguments about affordable housing, and we should be collaborating on creative ways to maintain and grow our diverse communities. Third, we need to make sure that we are creating economic opportunity for our residents. And I think we're actually doing fairly well on this right now. Our county level unemployment rate is the lowest it has been in decades. There are new businesses popping up all the time and those are creating lots of job opportunities. But I do think we need to be mindful of creating economic mobility in the job market as well. We can't just have intro level service jobs available. And the last thing I'll add here is that whatever we do, we have to involve stakeholders, which in this case is our whole community, in the conversation about housing. And I think that means we need to do more than just have the monthly town board meetings that are legally mandated to be open to the public. Maybe that means actively going out and evaluating the community's needs through focus groups and surveys, in addition to some serious quantitative data collection and research. The decisions we make on this, whatever they are, need to be community decisions, not club decisions. And I say all of this not to be a downer, but to say that the economic resurgence of our region creates an incredible set of opportunities to make this beautiful place even better. So let's seize the moment. Thank you so much to Heather Quaintance, Travis O'Dell, and Lynn and Joe Frieda for taking the time to chat on this episode. And as always, thank you for listening. I'm Leif Johansson, and this is Close to Home, a podcast from WJFF Radio Catskill. Have a great week. <laughs>